So I believe everyone here knows Ashley, so I probably don't really need to do much of an introduction, but uh, especially maybe for those listening online later, and um, as you guys have noticed, there's a lot of people missing tonight. We've had several people sick. They texted me saying something's going around, different people have been sick and out for different reasons, so uh, wanted to kind of set the stage a little bit before I invite Ashley up here. Um, I have two uh, really quick uh, stories of kind of experiences I had with Ashley that I think really set up why we have always wanted to have her involved with the things that we're doing here at Wayfarers. The first one is the very first time I met her. Um, uh, Garrett, who is here with us today. Everybody say hi to Garrett. <laughs> uh, Garrett had been doing a few videos with me and stuff like that. Um, and he, uh, messaged me and he said, hey, uh, I've got this girl that you need to know. She's a really good writer. At the time, we were wanting to start a blog up. He's like, you should hit her up. She would probably be really interested in writing for your blog. And um, so I reached out and she responded and she said, yeah, I'm super interested. And then in typical Nick Griffin fashion, it was like two months before I responded back to that email. <laughs> and I was like, I'm so sorry. I didn't mean to just like leave you hanging there. Um, yes, we would love to have you write on the blog. And she was just like, yeah, it's no problem for sure. I understand. Flexible. She rolled with the punches. She uh, wrote a few blog posts for us. Immediately, as soon as Noah and I got to know her, we were like, oh, she's like really, really good. We need to give her more opportunities, more options, get her a little bit more involved with some of the stuff that we're doing. And so uh, it was several months later. I remember uh, me and Adrian uh, went out to eat with Ashley, and I was just talking to her about wanting to get her a little bit more involved with our Bible teaching stuff that we're doing here at the church, and um, had a conversation with her where I was basically just explaining that the church tradition that I come from, the independent Christian church denomination that I grew up in, is one that doesn't allow women to teach the Bible um, because of certain interpretations of Bible passages. And I was like, that's not how I feel about it. I want to give you an opportunity but we still get a lot of support from people from that denomination. And so I was like, I don't know if I'll even be able to like publicly acknowledge that you are uh, doing some of this here at the church. And um, again, she was super flexible, rolled with the punches. I was like, yeah, sure, whatever it takes, whatever you need. I, uh, I just want to teach. And I think that that's been the thing that has just like really impressed me so much about Ashley. Just she has this like heartfelt, spirit-inspired desire to just teach the Word of God, teach it to people. It's just something that has, um, you can tell, is just a big desire of her heart. It's like this direction that she's had in her life for a long time. And it doesn't matter what the obstacles are in the way, what the things that, the, the, the flexibility she's had to have, the kind of rolling with the punches that she's had to do. She's like, yeah, I'll, it doesn't matter. I'll be flexible. I'll do whatever, whatever it takes. Just give me the opportunity to be able to, to share the word of God with people and, and teach it to other people. And I really respect that, especially because, um, in my experience, uh, as a man, as a Hispanic guy that every church wants. It's half Hispanic, but it counts enough for the diversity. So they're like, yeah, for sure. We'll give, we'll give Nick plenty of opportunities. Um, I've had opportunities my whole life. I've not had those barriers put up in front of me. People have, like, I was like 15 whenever somebody was like, hey, you want to come preach a sermon uh, for us? Um, and 
have always had those opportunities, have never had to be flexible, have like just jumped in and immediately jumped in. And I just really respect that Ashley's desire to do this has made it so that she will, she's like, I'll be flexible. I'll roll with the punches. I'll do whatever you need me to do. I just really want to be able to teach and share the word of God with people. So um, we wanted to give her an opportunity to do that here with you guys this uh, evening. Uh, Give her one chance, hopefully of many more to come as more people will see the potential that we saw and give her lots more opportunities um, to do that. But uh, I'll just turn it over to Ashley, let her introduce what she's going to share with us tonight. So help me welcome Ashley. Okay, let me get set up here. Okay, so before we get started, I'm going to go ahead and pray. Um, Heavenly Father, I thank you for giving me this opportunity. This is a wonderful opportunity to praise you, to give you honor and glory. And I pray that your name is elevated by this teaching. Um, Heavenly Father, I pray that you bless everyone in this room, that you speak through me, that their lives are changed because of it, that they learn something from it, that they grow closer to you, God. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Okay, so let's see if I can lower the mic. Okay, I can. Okay. Okay, so what I wanted to do is that I'm going to be teaching on something more personal today, which is not something that I typically do. Um, So I'm going to be using chapters Isaiah, um, Isaiah 25 and 26. And so I'm not going to start off talking about them right away. I'm going to get that into a later part of my teaching because I wanted to focus on this concept of praising God, even though we go through difficult things in our life because we all go through difficult things. And I have been through difficult things. And I'm going to be talking about um, some of those difficult things that I've been through and why I still pray. God afterwards. And so I really wanted to focus on that because I think it's so important for us to get into the mindset that we don't praise God based on what he gives us, but based on who he is. And so I'm going to be talking about some things. And so I'm going to get into some personal stories. So I just wanted to make you all aware of that first. And I need to get my phone out. Okay, so as I said, we're going to be talking about some personal stories. So the first thing that I want to get into is my father. And the reason that I want to talk about him is because he was very abusive to both me and my brother growing up. And so my father was physically and verbally abusive. Um, He had a lot of anger issues, and it was really easy to make him angry and to set him off. So we got hit a lot. We got pushed down on the ground a lot, um, along with some other things. Um, We also got insulted a lot. We were also not allowed to make a lot of mistakes. Um, He didn't tolerate imperfection very well. So if we did anything that was considered imperfect to him, then we were either hit or we were called stupid. Um, And that kind of set in place this this fear that I had of doing anything wrong, which carried into my adulthood even after he passed away. And so he would also do this thing where he compared us a lot to other kids. And one of the most common things that he would say to us is, why can't you be like this this kid over here, this kid over there? Or, I wish I had kids like that. And so he definitely was ashamed of us, and he didn't think that we were good enough for him. 
And he was also the type that never thought he was wrong about anything. He was really unwilling to change. Um, he was very stubborn, did not want to listen, thought he was right about everything. And if you're wondering about my mother, yes, my mother was in the picture. She was married to my father. She helped him raise us. And I always thought that she knew that all these things were going on because, you know, she was an adult who was raising us. She was living in the home. And so we had got into this conversation one night when we were driving home from a family event, and we got into the subject of him. And I started, you know, revealing things to her, which I didn't even know was a revelation. I just thought that she knew these things. And so she was like, I had no idea that these things were even going on. And so he was, she was like, well, maybe he did these things when I wasn't at home because I don't remember any of this. And so when I thought about it, I was like, yeah, you know what? Like, I don't recall her being at home during these times when this, when this stuff was going on. So I'm like, something seemed kind of off with that. And so when I thought about doing this teaching and I thought about that, I thought about the things that I learned from that situation. And so I thought about and these are just things that I personally learned, but one is like being honest with your spouse about how, when, and why you discipline your kids. Because if you're doing nothing wrong, you have nothing to hide. And so my father also, this is the second thing that I learned, was that my father being abusive to us was his fault, not mine, which is not something that I understood back then. So he definitely had some issues that he never dealt with that spilled over into his parenthood. And so that means that whatever issues that I have right now or may have in the future, I have got to deal with that as much as possible before I have my own kids so that my issues do not spill over into my parenthood with them. And the last thing that I learned from that um, was that it's very important to let God play a part in who I marry and who I have children with because people can hide who they are from me. They can hide their character from me, but nobody can hide who they are from God. And so God will always let me know who somebody is worth and what they're not worth, and they won't, he won't let me waste my time. And so those were the things that I learned from that situation. But the things that God taught me, the things that he said about this and the things that he did was one of the things that I realized that once I got saved and then, you know, I started to deal with that in my spiritual time is that God sympathized with my pain and he understood me. Um, he knew it was hard to be me and he understood that my father did horrible things to me and my brother. And that was why I originally became so angry when I was growing up. And then eventually, you know, my father got sick with lung cancer and uh, he ended up dying a year later. So he passed away when I was 15. My, my brother was 16. And so he ended up missing out on a whole lot. And this is also my, my personal thought about that was that I always thought that his illness and his passing was sort of like, you know, his, his punishment, his consequence for what he did to us. And so even with that being said, there are reasons that I praise God for that situation, not because of what I went through, but because God made a clear distinction between his role um, as a father in my life and the role of my human father. And so I praise God because he became the father that I needed. And the first time I realized that God genuinely cared about me was when he got sad over me not speaking to him. And so what I mean by that was that I remember one day I was standing in my living room and I was just standing by the heater trying to keep warm. And I felt this sense of sadness come over me that wasn't my own sadness, but it was the sadness of God. And because back then I really didn't do a lot of praying. Like I prayed when I needed to. And so I would go several days at a time without praying about anything because in my mind, prayer was something for me, not for him. So if I didn't need anything, I didn't pray. And so when I felt this sadness come over me, it was like this realization. And then God immediately spoke to me in that moment. And he was like, you don't talk to me anymore. And I was like, I didn't even realize that was an issue for God. I didn't realize that he even cared about me talking to him. I thought it was just something that was for me. But then he took joy in the fact that he, he and I had conversations, like not just asking for things, but just having conversations. And so I also remember that, you know, like I said, my father was a perfectionist. He did not allow mistakes. So even in my relationship with God, you know, I've made mistakes like we all have. And so God told me that, you know, I wasn't a terrible person after what I did, to, what I believed to be the worst thing I could have possibly done. 
And it made him sad that I even thought that he perceived me that way. Because that was another moment that I had in my prayer time where I was confessing to God. And I was like, Haley, you probably think I'm this terrible person. And he was like, no, that's not how I feel about you. Like, that was how my human father felt. But that's not how he felt about me when I made mistakes. And so even, like, in the times where I made the same ones over and over again, my heavenly father saw me in a better light than my human father did. And so God understood that those mistakes were a part of growing up and maturing that my human father did not allow. And so it was just like, I praise God for making me a better person through a healthy form of correction and discipline that produced love and forgiveness towards me because I did not get that growing up. And so my mindset began to shift from like a father who, you know, a father who was God, who was playing the role as a father. And I began to elevate that over the bad decisions that my human father made, which led to praise for me. And so praise to me is also connected to aligning my thought patterns with the thoughts of God. It's not just like praising God with my mouth, but it's like the idea that like whatever it is that I'm thinking about myself or my life has to align with God. And so God was showing me that this is how you thought of of a father. And now I'm going to take you and I'm going to teach you this is what a real father is. And so I'm very very grateful for that. Like, I give God honor and glory and praise for that because he showed me the difference between what it means to be a bad father and then a good one because he became that role model in my life. So that was the the first thing. So the second story that I want to tell was also about this, and this is something, and I've talked about both of these things, the father and the my, my drinking on um, the Wayfarers podcast, and I only got into it like very briefly. So just to be clear, I didn't like I wasn't an alcoholic or anything, but there have been moments where I have drunk too much. So and some people in here know that I don't drink anymore. And so I wanted to discuss why. So I also talked about this briefly, you know, like I said, on the podcast, but I've had two moments in my life where I have drunk too much and they happened a year apart. So the first time it happened at a friend's baby shower who lived in the house right behind me. And they, their backyard was connected to our backyard. So long story short, you know, I was feeling a little down that day. Um, I was unemployed back then, so I was feeling kind of sad. And so I decided to have a drink of wine that they brought out um, at the end of the night. And this is after half the people left. And I drunk too much, ended up throwing up all over the living room. And blacked out, had no idea what happened. And they had to get me home safely. Like, they wrapped me up in the blanket, put me in my bed. I got home safe. Everything was fine. My mom was not at home, so she had no idea this happened. And I was of legal age, by the way, so I was definitely over 21, but that still does not make it okay. <laughs> but, like, it did happen. And so I woke up the next day. Um, I saw that they wrapped me in the blanket, put me in my bed. But I needed to wash the blanket because it was a mess for obvious reasons. And so I washed it, and then I made this embarrassing walk back to her house um, just to apologize for what happened the night before. And she just told me, you know, it's all right. She said, I just wanted to make sure that you were okay. And she was like, I'm not going to tell your mom about it. She was like, just make sure you don't do that again, you know, at the club. And I was like, okay. And like, my mom did not find out about this until like years later when I told her, but the advice that she gave me, like, don't let it happen at the club, that did not happen again. It happened a year later and I was at a club with my friends and then we did that. And then they took care of me and got me home safe again. And so what I learned from that was that, of course, I don't think that drinking is a sin, but I do think that drunkenness um, is, as the Bible points out several times, that it is a sin. But you have to know your limit, and you stop at your limit. And you also don't use alcohol as a method to make yourself feel better because it never stops at feeling good. good. It just goes back past like that, and then you want to keep going until you lose control. And so for me, not drinking is less about sin and more about the self-control. And so what God had to say to me about this was that whenever I would think about this, and it was a lot because I was ashamed of it, that God would tell me a few things. He would say, the first thing was be to think positive. Like, I don't believe at all that God reminds himself or us of who we used to be. And I don't believe he wants us to remind ourselves of that either. So I praise God for wanting me to have joy and peace during the time when I didn't know how to do it on my own. And that leads me to the next thing that God would tell me whenever I would think about 
this moment, you know, because I would replay everything that I do remember about that night in my head. And he would say, well, look, look how far you've come. Like you're thinking about this, but look how far you've come right now. And so God wants us to stay focused on the present and the future. And I praise God for his perception of me being connected to who I am today and where he's trying to get me to go, not who I used to be in the past. And so God would also tell me, you know, not to be afraid of it, you know, because this was a mistake and we all make mistakes. And some of our mistakes cause us to feel more shame than others, depending on what they are and who we are. And I feel like that God was just like, don't be afraid of it. Don't be ashamed of it. Like, you know, it happened and you just you move on from it. So I pray for him, praise him for encouraging me and empathizing with my suffering since he, too, you know, suffered on the cross. So he empathizes with that. And so I wanted to get into why I was telling everyone this, because like I said at the very beginning, I wanted to focus on like my personal stories and then getting to like general aspects of having a mindset of praise. Like these were difficult things that I went through, um, things that were not my fault as a child that my father brought on to me, and then also things that I did myself. And so these were things that probably the two hardest things I probably have had to go through in my life. And I felt like that despite all of that, God has still brought me out of it. And I just feel like such a praise towards God for the fact, not that those things happen, but the fact that they're not being held against me and that I don't have to hold it against myself and that I don't have to feel bad about anything. And I feel like that the more that I get closer to God, the more that I realize that those things don't really matter because they don't identify who I am. But I wanted to talk about Isaiah. So now we're going to get into Isaiah. So we're going to go to Isaiah 25, verse 1, and I'm just going to start reading. I'm not going to read the entire chapter 25. I'm just going to pick out um, those things that are related to, most related to the concept that I'm teaching on. So both 25 and 26 have to do with the praise of the Lord, and I'm reading from NIV, and it says, Lord, you are my God. I will exalt you and praise your name. For in perfect faithfulness, you have done wonderful things things planned long ago. And so this is why I shared my story about these two things, because God and his faithfulness has created a plan involving both of those things. And so that, that plan involved the things that I learned that I've mentioned, but it's also for the benefit of everyone who hears. Like in Revelations 12 and 11, it says, in reference to talking about defeating Satan, who is our accuser, it says, by the blood of the lamb and the word of our testimony, that is how we overcome him. And so I share this because it doesn't have power over me to be used as an accusation, but it's an affirmation to myself and to everyone else that the love of God creates victory and covers a multitude of sins. And so there is a quote that I love by Nelson Mandela that says, I never lose, I either win or learn. And so even though I hate what happened, I valued what I learned from those situations. Um, but I'm also mentally stronger than I was before. And the reason I say that is because there's a lot of warfare that goes on in our mind. So there's always going to be bad things that happen, and none of us can control that. We can only control how we respond to it. So it reminds me of the parable of the sower, which is the foundational parable, because Jesus says, if you can't understand this, then how can you understand any of the parables? And so in Matthew 13 and 20, it says, as for what was sown on rocky ground, this is the one who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy, yet he has no root in himself, but endures for a while. And when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately he falls away. And so there's like these moments that we have when we're in church and then we hear really, really great things that make us feel good. And then we go out into the world and we get tested with those things, just like those things that happen to me that I, um, or things that I did to myself, those were things that were being tested against me, against the things that I was being told in church. And so I have to have this warfare in my mind between am I going to identify with those things or am I going to identify with the things that I'm being taught from God? And so this reminds me of a quote from Ron Carpenter. And Ron Carpenter was the pastor at Redemption Church. And he used to come on TBN every Sunday. And he was the first preacher that I really, really got into. And he was teaching on a series called Mind World at the time. That's what he entitled it. 
And one of the things that he said that was repeatedly spoken throughout his teaching, and it was something that stood out to me, and it was this. It said, it's not the thought that comes and goes that dictates your future, but it's the thought that comes and stays. And some of you have a future that looks a lot different from your past, but your mind will not let go of one bad thing and you're stuck. And my mindset about it was like, I'm not going to stay stuck in the past forever, then I'm going to move on into the future, but it's not a power of being able to move on that comes from myself, it's from God. And there's something very powerful about moving on from something. And so the very same thing that Ron Carpenter was teaching to his church was the same thing that God was teaching me. And I don't believe that God wants me to stay stuck in who I used to be because he isn't focused on who I used to be. And even though I don't like what I went through, even though I cried, I was angry for a long time, eventually I stopped feeling sorry for myself that it did happen because my life is not something that I need to be sorry about and God doesn't want me to spend the rest of my life being a victim. And so I remember when I was at work one day and one of the things I do as part of my job is to perform collections. So I call people and receive phone calls about people either owing money or they're paying money. So um, this woman calls in and she had money that she owed to us and she revealed to me that the reason that she had not been been paying her bill is because her and her husband had had some surgery, some treatments, and they ended up being like $40,000 in debt in medical bills. And so I was like, well, I'm so sorry to hear that. And that's so awful. And I was like also in that place where at the very end of last year before I had my surgery, um, I was wondering how am I going to pay my bills because I also have to go to medical. So I was like, I completely understand because I'm going to have to go through the same thing and I'm going to have to figure out how to pay my bill. And she just stopped me and she was just like, no, it's okay. And she was like, I got up this morning to have my coffee. I was sitting in the presence of God. And then she just started going on this tangent about how good God is and how the devil comes against us to stop us from having joy and from seeing the goodness of God and how she knew she was going to be okay. And that was just like not the thing that I expected her to say. I was like, I had no idea that somebody was going to call in and even say that and that I was going to be the one to pick up the phone to hear it. And I feel like that that was the very thing that I needed to hear. And it's like, that's the same thing that I want everyone else to see from my testimony as well, that there were bad things that happened to me, just like they happened to all of us. But that doesn't stop God from being who he is or being worthy of praise. And as Joseph says in Genesis, you know, 15 and 20, you intended to harm me, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. So we can praise God for the fact that whatever any human being does, um, to hurt us, whatever mistakes that we make, whatever circumstances we are in, that all it does is produce more lives in the process because of the testimony we get to share and the hope it brings to others. So that's how I see the situation. I don't see it as like a defeat. I see it as a victory that God brought out of my life. So, you know, so I stand up here sharing that because I'm like, well, what power does it have for me if I share it? And so going into Isaiah 25 and 4, that's the next one I'm going to read. It says, you have been a refuge for the poor, a refuge for the needy in their distress, a shelter from the storm and a shade from the heat. And when I read that, I just immediately thought that there is proof that God will rescue us from trouble, from pain, from trauma. And the words poor and needy there that are used there are not referring to people who have no money. Like the word poor there in Hebrew means someone who has been brought low and is weak. Um, the word needy in Hebrew means someone who is being oppressed. So there are people who are depressed. They're sad, they're broken, and they have given up hope. And God says that I will be a refuge and a shelter and a shade from that heat. And then the word distress there in Hebrew is related to someone who is being attacked by an adversary. So God protects us, you know, from Satan, who is the adversary. But even when people act as our adversaries, God protects us from it. And the word heat here means like a desolation or a dry place. So even in seasons of our lives when we experience a drought or a desolation, God provides for us when we need it. And we need to praise him for being the kind of God who does those things. And we remember those verses that says, you know, no weapon formed against you will prosper. The gates of hell will not prevail against you. And 
in those verses, it's not saying that no weapon is going to prosper and that the gates of hell will not come. They're going to come like bad things are going to happen and we cannot control that they happen. So we don't praise God because those things don't come. We praise him because when they do come, they do not defeat us. And so moving on to Isaiah 25, 8 and 9. So starting here, it says the sovereign Lord will wipe away the tears from all faces. He will remove his people's disgrace from all the earth. The Lord has spoken. In that day, they will say, surely this is our God. We trusted in him and he saved us. This is the Lord. We trusted in him. Let us rejoice and be glad in his salvation. And so the two things that stood out to me most in these verses was the wiping away of tears and the component of trust. And so wiping away tears here isn't just related to like taking a tissue and then wiping somebody's tears as they cry, but it's like the full removal of tears. It means to blot out so that there are no tears. And yes, even after salvation, we still cry, but eventually God dries up our tears. And one of the greatest things ever is that with God, we don't have to spend the rest of our lives being heartbroken over the same thing. We don't have to worry that our suffering is never going to end because change is guaranteed. So times and seasons always change, as Ecclesiastes points out. And God also likes to move on to a new thing. And that's one of my favorite things about God is that he doesn't stay stuck in the same position that he's constantly moving on. And in 1 Samuel 16 and 1, and this is one of those things that shows that God likes to move on. He tells, God tells Samuel after Saul is no longer a king, he says, how long will you mourn for Saul since I have rejected him as king over Israel? Fill your horn with oil and be on your way. I am sending you to Jesse of Bethlehem. I have chosen one of his sons to be king. And so it's like, God telling Samuel, okay, you need to move on from this. Samuel Samuel is, I mean, he's telling Samuel, you need to move on from this. Saul is no longer the king. Go anoint somebody else. And I know that that sounds incredibly heartless, but it actually isn't. Because in the verse right before this, at the end of chapter 15, verse 34, it says, Until the day Samuel died, he did not go to see Saul again, though Samuel mourned for him. And the Lord regretted that he had made Saul king over Israel. And that word regretted there in that verse means to be sorry about, but it also is related to the concept of consoling. So God was also hurt about Saul dying and him being removed as king. He was heartbroken over it and he was consoling himself. But God in the very next chapter tells Samuel, who is still mourning, you can't sit here and cry about Saul forever because I'm not going to do it forever. He was like, I understand that it hurts that Saul didn't turn out to be the king that you wanted because he wasn't the king that I wanted. But this is the solution to our suffering. You need to go and anoint a new king who's going to be a man after my own heart. And it was the same thing with Moses and Joshua. At the end of Exodus, um, it tells the story of how the Israelites mourned Moses for 30 days And then the mourning period ended and the people began obeying Joshua. And so they never would have made it into the promised land if they sat there crying over Moses for the rest of their lives. Because even though Moses wasn't allowed to take them in, God provided them with someone who could. And all it took was for them to keep moving forward. And it's the same thing. Like we go through difficult things in our life and God understands that and he respects that and he mourns with us. But at some point, the mourning period has to end and we've got to keep moving forward with our lives. We can't stay stuck in the same position forever. And so I also said that the concept of trust here was really interesting to me. And so that word trust there in Hebrew is also related to waiting or looking eagerly for. And so the first thing I thought of is when I order something online and I immediately start to get excited over the anticipation of it arriving. And so when the arrival date finally gets here and I get a notification it's saying that it's on its way, like I start tracking my package, I look out the window and I'm trying to see if there's someone who can go get it or if I can go get it. And so I'm waiting in excitement for that thing to arrive because even though I have no solid proof that it's coming, I just fully believe that it's going to get there. And I think that that's how God wants us to be in our trust with him, that when we're 
asking God for something that even though we don't see it arrive and we wait in anticipation because we understand that it's going to get there. And so it reminds me of Isaiah 49 and 15 where it says, can a mother forget the baby at her breast and have no compassion on the child she has born? And it says, though she may forget, I will not forget you. And so no matter how long we wait, we are never forgotten by God. So sometimes we come before God and we're praising him and we're asking him for things and we don't see it producing and we think that God has just forgotten or given up. But God is like, I have not forgotten about you. Like just because you don't see it right there in front of you does not mean that it's not coming. And so I just feel like that that is just one of the most amazing things that we can do is like praising God and waiting in anticipation, understanding that it's going to come. And, you know, I praise God for, you know, the moments where, you know, human beings have forgotten me, where I was invisible when no one cared. Um, and God loved me perfectly in those moments. And his love was more than enough. And his love not only makes up for what other people could not or would not do, but it exceeds my expectations. So I don't feel like that I've lacked anything. And I feel like that I'm consumed by a love that is greater than any other human being could ever possibly give me. And so now I want to go to Isaiah 26, verses 3 through 4. And in verse 3 through 4 in Isaiah 26, it says, You will keep in perfect peace those whose minds are steadfast because they trust in you. Trust in the Lord forever, for the Lord, the Lord himself, is the rock eternal. And so here we have this concept of like the mind again. And I talked about renewing the mind earlier in order to be able to move on from something bad that has happened to all of us. And so this is how we do that. We keep our minds focused on him and anything that is related to him. And what are those things that are related to him? And it's, it's everything. It's, it's literally everything. And there is no aspect that God is not concerned about. So I invite him into every area of my life from the way that we treat our bodies, because our bodies are his temple, as 1 Corinthians 6 says, to the way I honor him in my thought patterns. And so there are thoughts that are of no use to us or to God. And if those thoughts do not produce anything good, then why are we thinking them? And so we should be thinking about what it says in Philippians 4 and 8, where it says, finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about these things. And so the battle is always in our minds, as I said before. People, or even Satan himself, doesn't have to attack you physically to keep you from a place of promise. Like, all they have to do is convince you that you are not who God says you are because it's an attack against your identity. It's the same trick that Satan pulled in the Garden of Eden. It's the same one that he tried to pull on Jesus in the wilderness, but it didn't work. Like, it's psychological warfare. It's our enemy taking an event that has happened in our lives and trying to convince us that that event somehow defines and disqualifies us from operating in who God called us to be. But we praise God that that is not true. And so I'm very thankful that those are not true, that the things that have happened to me, the things that I've decided to do that were wrong were just events that happened in my life, that they were not a definition of who I was or how I was going to end up. And so the next verses that I wanted to read in Isaiah 26 is verses 7 through 9. And it says, The path of the righteous is level. You, the upright one, make the way of the righteous smooth. Yes, Lord, walking in the way of your laws, we wait for you, your name and renown, and the desire of your hearts. My soul yearns for you in the night. In the morning, my spirit longs for you. And so this is what happens when we focus our minds on Christ. So God levels us when we start to become unstable and we fall off that path. So when we start to fall off, we take what comes against us and we lay it down before God. In 2 Corinthians 10 and 5, it says, we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ, which means that the thoughts that we have about ourselves needs to align with the same thoughts that God has about us. And if they don't, we need to let God change them to make us level again. And so we can walk down a smooth path. 
And so I think one of the best ways to align our thoughts with God is to remember the things that he has spoken to us, not just in the Bible, but to us directly, and also remember the things that he has done for us. And so also going back into the concept of storytelling and giving these little antidotes, like I still remember many of the things that God has spoken to me and done for me in my life. And these are all positive things that have shifted my understanding of my life and myself. So when I do, it helps me remember what God thinks of me and how I should think of myself. And I'll share some of those things with everyone. So I, I remember God revealing to me that I'm a teacher. I remember that when I needed dental surgery and had no insurance to pay for it, that God provided me insurance that covered the majority of the costs. I remember when during my health issues with my fibroids and all the blood loss that came with it, um, I never needed a blood transfusion, never needed iron transfusions, never passed out because I was close to all three of those things and it did not happen. Um, I remember God mourning with me in my physical pain over my fibroids. Um, I remember that when I quit my job before I started school, that God found ways to pay for my tuition without me having to use my savings. And that also included someone leaving me $200 in my mailbox. Um, I remember God gave me the exact kind of car I had been praying for. I remember him giving me the job I had been praying for, which is the, currently the job I have now, and it's the best place that I've worked at. Um, I remember him comforting me when I thought I assumed I was a terrible person, and he assumed that. Um, I remember him telling me he would rescue me out of trouble. I remember him saying to trust me. I remember him saying, I'm your best friend, that he is with me, that I will be with him when this life is over. Um, I remember him saying that I'm beautiful, that I'm smarter than I think I am, that he's proud of me. Um, I remember him saying that he likes my honesty, that, um, and that he never gave up on me when I make the same mistakes over and over. So, you know, when I think about that in the concept of praise, it's like, we all have this list of things that we want God to do, that we want God to give us. And so when I think about all those things that God has done for me in my life, it's like, well, who cares if I don't have everything? on my list. Like if I have 20 things on my list that I want to get and God has given me 18 of them, why do I care that I don't have the two? Like those specific things that I have are not definitions of my life or the quality of my life. And I remember that I had someone in my life that was prophesying to me about that whole concept, about the idea that you're asking God for a list of things. And these things that you want God to give you, you're thinking that those are the thing, but that's not the thing that God wants you to put your hope in. He's trying to get you to do that for him. He's trying to get you to be the thing that gives you the joy, that gives you the peace, that gives you the hope, that gives you like wholeness basically. And so I think that sometimes like just in general, people have a habit of trying to define the happiness in their life, the joy in their life by the list of things that they want God to give them and then trying to base whether or not they're going to praise him based on how many things they get to check off the list. And it's like, we all have bad things that happen to us, like one way or another, whether it happened years ago, whether they're going to happen in the future. And there's nothing that we can do about that. We can't stop bad things from happening, but that doesn't change the fact that God is still good and that he's still worthy of being praised and that he's more than willing to be delivered. So we base our praise on who God is and not on how much he's given us. And so I just wanted to, to say that. And I, I'm done with my teaching and I'm going to go into prayer and then Nick is going to come up again and then we're going to finish out so we can all go home. So, <laughs> so Heavenly Father, um, I give you honor. I give you glory and praise um, for this teaching. Um, Heavenly Father, I thank you for the many ways that you have blessed me, that you've blessed everyone in this room. Um, I thank you. Um, I appreciate you. We love you and we give you honor and glory, God. Um, we pray that everyone is safe as they begin to head home tonight. Um, we pray um, that you speak to us, that you open up our hearts and open up our minds, that we see more of you, that we follow more after you, God. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.